Let's get ready to nibble and chew upon this remarkable banquet because this is Bill's Big Bag of Onions. stories written and performed exclusively for the show and then dispersed with resplendently remarkable music. So sit back and kick off your shoes and allow your soul to be infused by our unique and innovative storytelling because this is Bill's Big Bag of Onions. Birdbrook near Braintree, Belle Epoch enjoyed a notable career as a burlesque dancer in Paris, appearing at the Moulin Rouge. Friend of Toulouse-Lautrec, she is thought to be his muse in several renowned paintings. Her catchphrase, Can you can can, followed by a high kick, abruptly terminated her career in 1916. The flying cigar and subsequent loss to fire of a small restaurant and several adjacent buildings in Montmartre resulted in deportation. Suffragette and activist, Bell was imprisoned for arson on three occasions. A failed reprise of the famous kick led to her untimely death at 75. Bell's memorial service and interment of ashes to be held at Birdbrook Parish Church and afterwards at the family home, Ida's Cottage. Her two surviving children, Ember and Flint, invite all who knew her to send her off in a blaze of glory. How may I count the special moments the times when we laughed together or cried together, when life was not always kind or easy, but somehow we always found our way together and through it all back to happiness again. Cold winter's nights and warm summer days, time with friends and time alone together, traveling the world in search of all its wonders. So many moments and so much life and love and how can I count them all, when all of the special moments in my life are all the moments that I spent with you? Frank, you must stop sending me Valentine's Day cards. Our relationship was over years ago. You know that and I know that. Ever since then, you have been pestering me with these pathetically whimsical cards every February the 14th. To be honest, they make me puke. I no longer have feelings for you. I don't love you. In fact, I detest you. Your face is abhorrent. We're never going to get back together. It might be tough to accept, but I'm far too good for you. You're a prat. I like the flowers, chocolates and perfume, though. Keep sending those. To be staring at the hearth, enjoying the moment the pine is engulfed by flame, until the forms are disgorged, transformed, is one of life's secret pleasures. Its appetite is ceaseless, demanding more and more fuel, 
and you will find yourself delivering anything that burns to its center. Recently, I upgraded my hearth. It now burns Sky, Amazon, Netflix, BBC and Disney. To be staring, enjoying the moment my mind is engulfed by celebrity disability, neighbors who yell, fight bake, new wars, political farces, climate change disasters, actors on sofas and murder dramas is one of life's few remaining pleasures. As the family left their bed, tumbling, wobbling, wagging, you were not the most beautiful. But your calm, strong energy meant I couldn't take my eyes off you. I wasn't looking for a puppy, just visiting. As conversation turned to the merits of each pup, I said, what about White Collar Girl? No one except me seemed impressed. I couldn't forget your steady confidence or soft, brown, all-seeing eyes, your old soul. I wasn't looking for a puppy, but when you were left behind, your brothers and sisters taken lovingly to new homes, I knew you were meant for me. Every evening after work, I eat a pile of bubble and squeak and grouch at my insufferable family. I take naps in the car in the garage. I go through our neighbor's rubbish bins. I strangle all but one kitten from each litter. I lie out on the back lawn, stark naked, gazing up at the stars, stewing on how much I dislike my children. Yes, I'm afraid it's true. In almost every detail, every proclivity, every attitude and deed and word, despite all my efforts to the contrary and trying so hard not to be, I have become exactly like my father. I've tried everything to lose weight, even liposuction and a stomach band. This is my last hope, guaranteed to take off 25 kilos and surprisingly cheap. The team arrive in white uniforms and I sign forms as they assemble tubes and drips. I wake up dizzy, shivering violently, with searing pains in my hip and shoulder. Is anybody there? Silence. I struggle to open my eyes. There's no one around. I'm looking at the kitchen ceiling. Finally managing to raise my head, a faint scream emerges from my throat as I realize this has cost me an arm and a leg. Are you hoping for the most splendid time to be had by all? Want your do to go with a bang? Come to Bojo's in the high street where we have the best. Forget streamers and goodie bags. We have exciting lines to satisfy all your desires. The cocktail mix called This Is Not A Party, It's A Work Meeting will delight all clients. Try our Eaton Mess where you throw puddings at your friends. We can organize fights between the perky members and sick buckets will be provided free of charge. 
Bojo's is the place for good, honest fun. end of the 21st century, almost all people were born left-handed. Scientists had theories of reverse natural selection. Teams of sociologists suggested a social media-driven unconscious bias as the cause. Religious leaders praised the new inclusivity of God, and conspiracy theorists fantasized with increasing certainty that a new superbreed of left-handed aliens had landed. Train station turnstiles were installed with ticket touchpads moved onto the other side. Guitars were remade and restrung. Builders learned to read their measuring tapes upside down. And the man who made left-handed scissors became very rich indeed. August day in the vast featureless area known as Round Hay Park, Leeds. Masses of people mill about in t-shirts. Sweat drips from them as they guzzle water and gyrate to the buzzing beats of the techno radio festival. Suddenly the rain starts and the temperature drops. There's nowhere to shelter. Sodden groovers hunch shivering around skinny saplings. The regret on everyone's face is visible. If only I brought my... my, my, my. A young woman appears, erect and smug, under the umbrella she holds high as if to show it off. But there's no material in it. It's just a skeleton. Excited by the sudden change all around me. Dark grey cloud, thick and heavy, now mantles the town. The occasional spits of rain on my windscreen have been exchanged for a deluge that my wipers struggle all too vainly to push aside. Their mechanical rhythm adds to the swelling symphony of the storm. The air conditioning is triggered, bursting into life, its heater of fans battling to demist the glass around my car as cooler air arrives with the storm. The traffic ahead stalls and then reaches a standstill. Water surges past inadequate drains. Nice day for ducks, I'm a tear. remained covered with relics of the family breakfast long after they had gone to their various occupations. Plates littered with halibut skin, scattered morsels of cheese and fig. And at that moment, a sharp February light fell on the tablecloth and its wear, emphasizing shapes, patterns and textures beyond their manufacturer's intent. And in that sunlit moment, 
she observed how ripe the fruit looked in its blue alcock bowl, how full-hued and firm each piece appeared against each other. This is how we are, she thought, how vulnerable and wanting we appear. Staring out of the front window, avoiding work as usual, when a white Morris Minor glides by like a ghost from the past. The sight snapping me back fifty years to 1969. The years dissolve and I'm naughty 19 again. First motor, first taste of freedom, first venue free from supervision by parents. Friday nights at the drive-in movies, fogged up windows and hot first love, hop in the back, kick the front seats forwards and reach for each other. The 1949 Morris Minor, a perfect first love nest, as long as you choose a 4 foot 11 first lover. when the monster came to stay. It took up residence in my bedroom. It was large, with a growly voice and a spiky chin hair that hypnotised me into saying bad things. Mum was cross with me and sent me upstairs to the room I now had to share with my sister. Yuck. Later, the monster sneaked upstairs and peeped in. I'm sorry I got you into trouble. Here, I sneaked you some cake. As I tucked into the delicious pink buttercream icing with sprinkles, I decided it wasn't so bad to have a monster visit. Colchester-born Bartram has puzzled historians, unable to corroborate numerous claims made about his extraordinary life, or, indeed, find any trace of him prior to last year when a hotel bearing his name opened, which now caters to throngs of Christian pilgrims. Mr. Bartram's said to have met the Virgin Mary in a house previously located on the site of the hotel. After this visitation, he apparently performed countless astonishing but low-key miracles in surrounding villages, about which nobody wrote anything down. The only documentary evidence of his existence is in the now always fully booked Hotel Gabriel's leaflets, posters and website. Gabriel Bartram, who died in 1843, is survived by his great-great-grandson and hotelier, Delroy Bartram. As the man looked out over the field, his mind started to wander. He knew he wanted to stay. But the Soviets would never allow it, and even if he found a way to defect, would England even want him? How could he convince them that he, a lowly official, was worth it? But he loved it here. Gin rather than vodka. Tea with milk. Democracy. A sudden cry roused him from his reverie. A man dressed in black stood before him, asking him what he had seen. Maybe now was his chance. He thought quickly and allowed the goal. 
It was a perfect ending. Long after his own death rattle had passed, the uproar of his children's fury would resonate beyond his bungalow in Colchester. Revenge was such a sweet sound. He smiled at his laptop, portal to his magnificent and malignant trickery. He tapped enter, and his vengeance was released. Armed with financial details gleaned from so many bailouts, his army of bots began their unending mission, making purchases, generating subscriptions, and offloading random donations across the world. It would be spam heaven, a toxic mess that would be unforgivable, irritating, and boring, just like his children. Self-delusion, vivid perception, consciousness expansion, system stimulation, self-protection, engineered generation, skin decoration, sexual motivation, self-identification, procreation, impregnation, cellular multiplication, infiltration, subversion, murky insinuation. How do you pass into or through something? Electromagnetism radiates its waveforms. Strings vibrate and enfold quarks, atoms, molecules, cells, tissues. Thermal gradients spark life into motion. Quantum particles entangle then disappear. Yet we think we notice these things. Should we blame Adam and Eve? To make sense of it, we construct beliefs in a process of consumption, digestion, growth and development, interweaved through a framework of permeable consciousness, our ultimate penetration. Recognised quite late in her life as a brilliantly gifted linguist, Mildred Hornblower is best known in academic circles for her audio translation into six European languages of the complete recorded works of Ivor Cutler. In the public sphere, she is perhaps best known for her translation into four obscure African dialects of the works of Professor Stanley Unwin, which would guarantee her a deserved and undoubted place in the history books of modern academia. None of her writings or recordings was a commercial success, however, and she died as she had been born, in impoverished circumstances in the slums of Colchester. In accordance with Mildred Hornblower's wishes, and to mark her love of Professor Stanley Unwin, she was buried at the Nittish Brashnor Cemetery, Fougere, at Pardi Carnosa. what is in her heart. Is it spades of love that will end in diamonds and white lace? Or will you see a fleeting glimpse of her at a club dancing with another guy? Will you shuffle away, your face suffused with a flush and your dreams broken? Or will she stick with you, offering a straightforward romance that has no twist? 
What a handsome pair you'd make in the photographs. If you had three kids, you'd have a full house. Her beautiful poker face haunts your dreams. I hope she deals you a good hand. I've never been interested in clothes. I've got enough to keep me going, so I rarely buy anything for myself. Walking round Tesco the other week, though, a black and mustard-striped rugby top tempted me into making my first clothes purchase in two years. It looked warm, practical, and was exactly the sort of thing I could see myself wearing. Back home, I proudly held up my new acquisition for my daughter to make the necessary cooing noises of approval. You do realize, she said, looking at me levelly, it's exactly the same as the one you've got on. Hesitantly, quietly, Melanie slipped out of her black satin nightdress and stood framed by pale translucent moonlight on the Persian carpet, naked behind me. Somewhere a clock chimed three. No wind stirred. A minute passed. Then another. Then another minute. The raspy bark of a fox cut the garden silence. Then... Another minute passed. A further minute passed quickly, followed by a different minute, when suddenly another completely different minute passed. Melanie moved towards me. It was a minute past. Then, shocked, she put her hand to her mouth. This was it. The night she caught me binging Holby City reruns. Sir Norman was an ever-present political backroom fixer in the 1980s to 90s. He introduced Cecil Parkinson to Sarah Keyes, advised Edwina Curry on her British egg policy, was the mastermind behind the Homes for Votes scheme, oversaw the arms to Iraq and Iraqi supergun affairs, gave PR advice to Geoffrey Archer, David Meller, Michael Mates, Tim Yeo and the Earl of Caithness devised a price list for Neil Hamilton's Cash for Questions, booked Jonathan Aitken's room at the Paris Ritz Hotel and urged him to sue The Guardian, and told David Cameron to hold a referendum in 2016. He retired from public life in 2017. Sir Norman Truttler was laid to rest at a private service in Bishop Stortford, where Thomas Cromwell and Max Clifford are thought to have been buried. Nowadays, 
I'm alone in my excursions and I'm forced to breathe the same air as these moronic plebeians with their noisy, revolting, miscreant offspring. They nauseate. Every cell of my body excretes a toxic loathing which accumulates in my viscera. I have been abused by these dreadful large buttocked heifers in skin-tight leggings with overlong multicolored false nails and ubiquitous cartoon makeup. They think they know me. They sneer at my unwashed soul and cringe at my breath on their necks as we cue. But today I am more than an army surplus beard and hood. I am death, their liberator. You are listening to Bill's Big Bag of Only Onions. cynical. They prey upon me, they do. They exploit my love with their greed and my devotion, my need to have it all, to gather it all in, to not miss out. The 1988 CD release, the 1991 digital remix, the 1997 digital remaster with two bonus tracks, the 2005 remaster deluxe edition, the 2010 30th anniversary reissue, the 2010 30th anniversary reissue Japanese version with bonus live disc, the 2016 digital remaster, and now the 2021 definitive remastered version. I bought it over and over again. The same album. I'm helpless. I'm a completist. Not long now, the GP announced to the family. The man had lived a long, largely happy life. Lovely family, travel, good job, friends. The only blot? His GP's recommendation, 30 years previously, to give up red wine, when blotches appeared on his skin. He'd really loved his red wine. The GP responded magnanimously to the thanks for the care he had given. My only bad call was the whole red wine thing. A twitch from the bed. I've since found out that it was cucumber skin that caused it. They died together. The man's hands around the GP's throat. joined the weekly Zoom chat, I learned that my family were planning to bump me off. It's the kind of thing to do, said my daughter Maddie, as I fumbled with my sound and video options. I paused and waited to hear more. What method would be best? Dare I mention Switzerland? I sat back in my chair, astounded. This blasé discussion of my future, or lack of, was not what I had expected with my morning coffee. Should I storm off or have it out with them? Then laughter. Dad, are you ever going to unmute? April Fools!
One day, Malcolm woke up with the human condition. He took a couple of aspirin, but by lunchtime he was still feeling decidedly queer. Symptoms ranged from extreme sadness at all of the hatred in the world, the destruction of the forests and reduction in biodiversity, to a severe attack of wonder at the natural world around him and all of humankind's achievements. If he was honest, he'd had this for a while. Other people he'd spoken to seemed to suffer from it, so Malcolm supposed that he'd just have to learn to live with it, being human and all. Gonna amount to much, Rochelle," said her dad on his farm outside Tulsa, Oklahoma. The teenager looked sullenly at Farmer Sven Svensson. She only really thought of Minecraft, playing it endlessly at all hours. Study—that was a million miles from her thoughts at all times. If you want to be a doctor or an attorney, you have to go the distance. It's perspiration, not inspiration. You need to sweat, girl, or you won't be worth a hell of beans. Rochelle took it to heart, and five years later, she was working at the Heinz factory, known locally as the Sweatshop. in despair and gave up searching for the last straight piece. My wife and her friend were still crouched over the table, focused on the five-thousand-piece jigsaw that I'd been given for my birthday. "'Did you read that article about jigsaw murders?' I asked. "'The mutilated, dismembered bodies of two women were found scattered over the Scottish borders.' took them ages to piece them together. "'Why are you telling me this now?' asked my wife, annoyed by the disturbance, and revealing the elusive straight piece, clinging resolutely to her left breast. "'Oh, nothing,' I mumbled. Thank <laughs> you. 
I took a pill in a nightclub in Ibiza. I walked to the beach. Leaving my clothes in a pile, I waded out into the surf and I started swimming. I don't know how long it was before I was picked up by some Algerian fishermen. They took me to their coastal village. Sleeping in their loft, I learned how to make shoes. Did it for five years, and then, finally, returned to Colchester. I'd learned that I need not worry about what people think of what I do for a living. So, I quit teaching and became a stockbroker. hubby been poorly for ages. Not eating, stomachache, nausea, you know. Well, I had an idea. I sneaked out in the night and picked an apple. I peeled it and he ate half. No retching, nothing. Brilliant, I thought. That sorted it. Next morning, the landlord comes in, all high and mighty like. He sees the core and goes mental. I'm going to make all my tenants suffer especially women, he yells. Now the whole world will hate me forever, all for an apple. It's a bit harsh, don't you think? But at least Adam's all right. Listening to Bill's Big Bag of Only Onions. I'd only done a few edges and was looking forward to some peaceful jigsawing when my wife returned unexpectedly early. Ah, jigsaw! She cooed and drew up a chair. No, I said. What do you mean, no? It's my thing. I prefer to do them on my own. Don't be silly, she said, running her fingers through my carefully sorted piles of sky and red bits. These go here, she said, and seconds later she'd clicked two pieces in place. Not even the yellow edge I was working on. And that, your honour, is where our problem started. Divorce granted. 
On the seventh day, God created Sofa. And Sofa did say, I am your heaven when you collapse, yet I am your secret dirt beneath your rollers, and the lost loose change down your cracks. I am the place of perpetual return and possible perpetual rest. I am your chintzy foliage, your embroidered tastelessness and baggy grandeur. I am the author of all tucks and piping, the purveyor of abandon and impermeable stain. I am all days and nights of countless consumption and the consequential collapse of civilization, simultaneously televised and thus worth watching. And all the people rejoiced comfortably. And he savours another fabulous moment in a glittering career. I've heard several times in a sporting context, rarely outside of it. One bleak rainy day in rundown Dalston. A businessman interrupted me as I sat on a crate in his smoky office, poring through grubby receipts, trying to reconcile incomplete VAT records. He stared quizzically at me before asking... Did you always want to be a VAT officer? No, I whispered. I don't know how this happened. The accounts never were reconciled, nor I to the fact that my career lacked glitter and was completely devoid of fabulous moments. was a much-loved friend in my class of six-year-olds. With parents' permission, a child could take him home for the weekend. Friday lunchtime was spent cleaning Hammy's cage and explaining care. Gary wanted him, but having heard nothing from his mum, I asked that she see me. We would love to have the hamster, but we don't have much luck with animals. Really? I said. Yeah, I hoovered up the last hamster we had. Oh dear. Yeah, and it wasn't until the dog fell off the sofa that I realised the kids had glued his paws together. This is Bill's Big Bag of Onions, with its special soundscape of gorgeous music and unique short stories written solely by our community. I hear the shuffle of feet on the porch, muffled ethereal voices, the rattle of chains and the ominous click of the lock. The door swings open, slowly creaking on its ancient hinges. I shrink further into the shadows, as stagnant air swirls a million particles of dust through the strip of light that glares across the room. I flinch as it almost touches me. You're not seeing it at its best, but this old place will be ideal for a young couple like yourselves. It's very cold, says the young woman, shivering in the sunlight. They all say that.
have to keep saying that, she said. Yes, he said. It's part of my job. Your job? It's hardly a job, is it? You're right. More like a calling. A calling? Sitting around clock watching? I'm the guardian of time. It's an important role. You say that, but it shouldn't stop you doing other things. I could do with a hand cleaning this place. Don't fuss. There's only us and the clock, of course. There goes another minute. Tick tock, tick tock. Do you have to keep saying that? She said. Yes, he said. It's part of my job. Your job? Rest is best, muttered Margaret to no one in particular, as she settled down for Ben's regular afternoon feed. What if he wasn't one of her own? If his mother couldn't produce enough milk, wasn't this better than being bottle-fed? She settled back, oblivious to the looks around her, but still disappointed that her friends were not more supportive. If she was happy to help, who were they to judge? She finished feeding and bent forward to give Ben a kiss on his small wet nose. Say what you like, but Margaret was one of the more dedicated dog fosterers. Janice was alone for 1,000 days and watched 1,060,000 long video clips, one after another, day after day. Runaway trucks slaughtering pedestrians crossing roads, poisonous rattlesnakes turning on their babbling preachers, men punching women's faces, cats filmed drowning in toilets and drains, Karens fulminating in shops and planes, wet swimsuits revealing everything. Budgerigars pooing secretly in toddler's food. Lions feasting upon a still-living zebra's guts. Janice's brain, tragically, bore the brunt of all this. And, regardless of it being authorised academic research, the psychologist who conducted this experiment, my lord, should be punished to the fullest extent of the law. unexpected guest arrived last night. We established her name was Miu. Sounded Chinese and she looked a little like that. She helped herself to some chicken which we had prepared for dinner, then she followed us to the spare room. She seemed to settle down there comfortably and we left her alone for the night. Can you believe it? When we entered the room the following morning we found her lying down in the laundry basket in the process of giving birth to her third baby. An hour later, she was the proud mum of five new kittens.
I seem to spend my life waiting. We all do it. Waiting for kids to get up. Waiting for everyone to get ready to go out. Good news. Bad news. Job applications. Exam results. Doctor's tests. Waiting for the train that never comes. Of course, there can be great pleasure in waiting. Watching seedlings grow before they flourish into something edible or beautiful. That seemingly endless tingle of anticipation as you wait for that first defining kiss. Firsts and lasts. I've come to think of life as one big waiting room. I do hope whatever comes next is worth it. Auntie Mabel never said boo to a goose. She sat quietly by the fire, minding her own business. In fact, John and Frida had forgotten whose auntie she was. She was just Auntie Mabel, who knitted socks and went off to bed at ten o'clock. So the family took off to avoid the pandemic to their holiday cottage. And when they were halfway there... Frida said aloud, I've got a nagging feeling. The kids just shrugged. John had to return eight months later, in November, to check everything was okay. As he turned the key in the lock, what was that smell? You have been listening to Bill's Big Bag of Only Onions. These onions were written by Phil, Adrian, Bill, Paul, Ian, Steve, Pat, a different Ian, Tim, Angela, Rob, Tony, Jenny and Gladys. Big Bag of Only Onions is a Guppy production for Colne Radio and is committed to a varied, equitable and truly inclusive output that properly reflects the ethnic diversity of our community audience. You're listening to Colne Radio. 106.6 FM and this is Bill's Big Bag of Onions. Mm.